So about four or five weeks ago, we started talking about Jacob and Esau. And, and um, I told I told Anthony, I said, I'm, I'm a whole lot like God. You only hear from me every once in a while, and I confuse you when I talk. So uh, I'm, I'm going to try. To, I said I was going to be done with this today, and I'm not. Um, I want to explain. Um, a preacher proclaims and a teacher explains. So I'm the teacher. So if you was looking like fire and brimstone coming out of my eyes and mouth, that, that's not really. My job is to break things apart and help you take it apart and help you put it back together. And that may seem a little unusual. It's kind of like going to an operating room. I'm glad they knocked me out. I don't want to see anything they do to me while they're in there. You've got to have a stomach for that. Do you know that? I told you in, um, when Gayla gave birth to the two boys, the first boy, there's two sides of that sheet during childbirth. There's my side and there's the doctor's side. And I found out real quick, I need to stay on my side of that sheet. <laughs> So I thought I'd be nosy and peek over, and boy, I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't done that. So, um, so this morning we've been talking about Jacob and Esau, and there is tons of variables in this. And and I do my very best. I very, do my very best to try to explain things to you that maybe is not common to you. Um, so last week we talked about several things about Jacob and Esau. And we, we talked about their role and, and, their, and their responsibility. But today I want to I I discuss something with you because it's important. It's important when you read the scriptures. And if you're visiting here this morning, that this will probably be the shortest sermon I'll ever preach in the last 36 years. But it may not be, so just <laughs> buckle up. Genesis 25, verse 23. Now, a lot of people take pictures. They're not taking pictures of me. They're taking pictures of notes. And I encourage you to do that because some of you can't write that fast. I understand. So uh, we have a lot of people take pictures. So there's, there's no glamour shots here. And I quit posing a long time ago. So, so the Lord said unto her, talking about Rebecca, the two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separate from the bowels. And one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the, and the elder shall serve the younger. Please leave that up there. This is the first set of recorded twins that we have in Scripture. There's only three. Two in the Old Testament and then Thomas Didymus. If you don't know, Didymus means the twin. Thomas had a twin. If you know anything about the lost books of the Bible, that they, they, they examine that and some people call that taboo. And I just call it further in my education because I want you to know there's a lot of things happened between Jesus when he was born when Jesus was 30 years old. Okay. So don't be so religious. And so we know any cow knows how to spit out the, the grass with the sticks. So there's a lot of things that happen in his childhood. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of John, if all the things that Jesus did could be recorded, the books could not contain them. Do you think he's just talking about those three years? No. So this is the first set of recorded twins that we have in the Bible. And the reason why that's important the reason why, because that when you read this for the first time, you think about Jacob and Esau and, and you got this figured out. The younger shall rule the elder. Amen. Not so fast. Being the first set of twins, this is very confusing. Notice he didn't say you're, you have two children in your belly. You have two groups of people. You have two nations. You got. And, and if you never heard of a twin, this is confusing. Because she was thinking, I got one in me. 
So when the angel come along and, 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 and in it like God, if God would just simply tell you what he wants you to do, wouldn't it be a lot easier? Man, but he doesn't do that. He just sends you around the circle and, and you find out, you know, through osmosis where maybe I need to be. So this is the process. He doesn't explain to her what's going on. He didn't say there's two babies in you. There's two boys. There's a boy and a girl and one will be Harry. His name will be Esau because he's Harry and the other will be Jacob and so on and so forth. He doesn't do that. He said, there's two types of people in you. There's two nations in you. And that was very confusing to her. And he says, the elder shall serve the younger. And on the surface, the first one would be the elder out of the gate would serve the second one, which would be the younger and And by knowing that in scripture, we got this figured out. Wouldn't that be simple? But it's not that simple. If it was that simple, then Rebecca and and Jacob and Rebecca and Isaac would be having problems figuring out who was going to receive the blessing. So a couple of things we're going to look at as we mosey. Genesis chapter 27, verse 42 says this. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purpose to kill you. I love King James, you know. This is what he said. He, she said, you better run for your life, sucker. Your big brother is going to kill you. That's what he said. That's what she said. The word elder, now pay very close attention. In this verse, along with 484 more times, the word elder is gadol in the Hebrew, and it means seniority in rank of years. The elder shall serve the younger. That's what the scripture says. If you don't know this, you may want to pay attention. Gadol is the term used in Genesis 27. Referring to Esau being the elder one, Gadol means in terms of rank or years or age. The word younger in the Hebrew is a word for, well, we'll get to Tassel, but it means, this word elder means he's older in years. Genesis 25 verse 23 is not the same Hebrew word. The word elder in their scripture is the word rob, and it means a quantity, size, and amount of people. And matter of fact, the word Hebrew word for R-A-B, dealing with the elder shall serve the younger, is the only time that Hebrew word is used in the entire Bible dealing with elder as far as a person. So I've already confused you. The Hebrew word for Older, like Danny DeVorg, ain't nobody older than Danny DeVorg in here. Good all. He's 160 and we lost count. Elder. It means rank in years. So when you hear that the elder Esau shall serve the younger Jacob, you're thinking, well, it's, it's simple. It's easy. He will serve Jacob. But that's not the word. So the angel says it this way in the language that was known by him. There's two nations in your womb. And the elder, the one that's greatest and biggest and largest in size and proportions and people will be a slave to one that is smaller in size and population. 
Now, you're looking at me like a bull looking at new gate. I understand. Take pictures, write it down, go home and research it, and you'll come back next Sunday and say, as usual, Reverend, you were right. The Hebrew Bible says it this way. And Yahweh said unto her, two nations are in your womb. And these true groups, not people, not babies, these two groups will be distinguished from your belly. And one group will have a higher position than the other group. But the higher group will be a slave to the lesser group. Genesis 25, 23, which is the Hebrew Bible. And so is stated in Romans chapter 9, verse 12, in the Greek lexicon. The Apostle Paul is readdressing this and he's using the same words. Groups, people, civilization, population. The greater rob in amount of size will serve the younger, which is smaller in number. Elasin is the word for younger. So when the angel comes to visit Rebecca, we're getting somewhere, trust me. He's not saying that the younger, the first one out of the gate, he will be a slave to the younger one, the second one out of the gate. Because if that was the deal, then they wouldn't go through this. Then who is the greatest among my boys? It would be a no brainer. So now then we have a problem with a couple of things. This verse is not speaking of the oldest and the youngest as we recited in Genesis 27, 15, 1, 15, 42, Godol. But this verse speaking of older or elder and youngest, it means greater and lesser in size. Okay. So of these two boys, of these two Nations that's coming out of her womb, which one is great? Now, if some of you that are, are pretty good Bible students, James Wycliffe, in his writings of the very first English Bible that was given to our hands in 1395, got this verse right. James Wycliffe got it right. He used the word greater and lesser, bigger and fewer. And through the years that they translated this to older and younger has everything to do with age. And it's not age. It has everything to do with a futuristic in, in their lives and their descendants dealing with nations, Edom and Israel. Edom, Edomites, is a descendant of, of Esau. And Israel is a descendant or of Jacob. His name was changed. And we're going to get to the... Name changing next week. So here are the two candidates that we're going to try to figure out which one is the greatest, the biggest, the largest. And if we can figure that out, then we'll know who will be a slave to who. Okay? Very simple. So Genesis 33 verse 11 says this, dealing with Jacob. Jacob was great in his possessions. So Jacob said when he met him, he said, Esau, I pray, take thee my blessings. That is brought to thee because God has deadly graciously with me and because I have enough and he urged him and he took it. Jacob said, I've got so much. I've got so much you can't even believe. I, I got money to burn. I got just take what you want. I got more than enough. Well, here's a guy 
If Jacob is that guy, then here's a guy that's got more than he needs and more than he'll ever use. And, and so he said, here, just take it. Have you ever met somebody who said, hey, I got more money than I need here. Just take you a few thousand. Yeah. If you are that person, please meet me after church. Okay. So Jacob was great. He had great abundance. He had great cattle, great inheritance. He had it all. And when he meets Esau, he said, here, just take whatever you want. It don't matter what you take. It ain't going to bother me. I, I, got, I got a thousand times to replace what you take. Genesis 3, verse 33, verse 8. Listen to what Esau said. And Esau said, what meanest thou about all this that we drove that I met? And he said, no, that ain't right. Is that right? Yes. And he said, what meanest thou about all this that drove me which I met? And the Lord said, these are fine grace in my sight, O Lord. Esau was so wealthy in his possession. He told Jacob, he said, you drove all this way. So I'm going to reciprocate anything that you want and anything you need. Because as we found out last week, they've been on the run for 20 years. And Jacob was so afraid that Esau was going to kill him. And after 20 years, they finally meet. And now then, guess what happens is this. They're wanting to exchange their wealth to one another. Now, the major problem with this whole old eldest and youngest is this. We have no record that Esau ever served Jacob. If, if you take it as face value that the elder is first one out of the gate, will be a slave to the younger, which was second one out of the gate, then we have no record whatsoever that Esau was ever a servant or submitted himself to Jacob as master. Nowhere. But the opposite is true. Matter of fact, that we have several applications that Jacob referred to Esau as his master, which is Genesis 32, 4, 5, and 18. And he referred to Esau as his Lord, Genesis 33, 8, 13, and 14. So when these two brothers had been on the run for 20 years, Jacob was scared to death that Esau was going to kill him. And last week, we dealt with him wrestling with the angel. And remember what we said? The scripture says he did not wrestle with an angel. He wrestled with a man. Hosea is the one that tell you he wrestled with an angel. So when, when we're struggling with stuff, are you really wrestling with me? Are you wrestling with an angel? Or are you wrestling with God? And the answer is yes. Some of you live like hell and you come in here and you throw things and you act like, you know. And then I say a few things and you get your feathers ruffled up and you go, well, all the nerve, Reverend. <laughs> and all along, God's been dealing with your temper. God's been dealing with your anger. And you walk into the church house and you was kicking the tires and you was kicking cats when you walked in the back door. And when you went to the bathroom, you went, you pried your smiley face on, you sat down. And first thing I talked about, I said, listen, God's going to deal with your anger. And boy, you just get, you can fry an egg on top of your head. <laughs> but are you really mad at me? Are you wrestling with me? Are you struggling with me? 
Or as we learned last week, was he really wrestling a man or was he wrestling the angel of God? Or Hosea says he was really wrestling God. When we have imperfections and frailties in our fleshly body, here's the deal. If you're born again of God and saved by God, God loves you so much that he'll accept you the way you are, but he loves you even more. He refuses to let you stay in that same condition. You know what's worse than training employees and having them leave is not training employees and having them stay. (laughs) You know what's worse than having spirit filled people that love God, encourage God and they have to move to another town leave. I tell you what's worse than that is having rebellious people stay. So here's the so we, we dealt with this last week. So here's the deal. The angel of the Lord came to her. And for the first time that we have record of it, he speaks of something that's unusual in her stomach. She has no idea what he's talking about. There's two nations, two groups of people. And he said, and one group will be greater than the other. But the other group that's smaller in size and proportion will rule over one that is bigger. Now, you may not be aware of this, but Edom, which is the descendants of Esau, had dukes and kings long before Israel did. Edom was large. The territory of Edom was huge. Matter of fact, the Edomites today is where we are known as the Arab countries. Huge. The Arab descents of Ishmael still today. The population versus the Israelites or Jews today, 300 to one. So back then, Edom, as we as we look at it, matter of fact, as we look at it, we, we watch Edom begin to grow and they begin to grow in size and proportion and strength and culture and, and all these things. And and but yet the descendants of Jacob still stayed a little bit small. So the question is, did, did the prophecy that the angel gave Rebecca about these two boys, did it ever come to pass? And the answer is yes, about greatness and size and strength. We can find in two places before Israel ever entered into the promised land, Edom or Esau prevented Israel from passage. So this is important. Let's look at this. Numbers chapter 20, verse 21, 2021. 20, but the king of Edom, Esau, replied, Israel is on their way to the promised land. They got a multitude and we, we, we speculate. I wasn't there. Danny DeVork was there. Now we speculate that there were between four and five million that left Egypt. Not all Jews, but people that were tired of the whip and they saw the blessings of God. And so they wanted to go with them. So we have numbers that say between four and five millions left Egypt. So we have four or five million plus the kids are being born. We got four or five million that's on a march heading to the promised land and they reached the borders of Eden trying to get through and watch this. And the king of Eden said, you cannot go through here. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have an army of four or five million people, that's a pretty good sized group of people, even if they just know wrestling and headlocks. That's a lot of people to deal with. 
And Edom said, you're not coming through here. Four or five million. Think about that. Four or five, more than the state of Oklahoma almost. So you've got the whole population of Oklahoma, about the half size of Long Grove, because I graduated there. But you've got four or five million people that's headed straight for the border. And they had to go through Edom. And just as soon as they get through Edom, they're into the promised land and it's said and done. But Edom says, you're not coming through. You know what that's telling you? That Esau was greater and larger in proportion and size. See, don't you like it better when I just say it's the elder shall serve the younger and we get this thing over with, we go home. But we're not do that. Edom was bigger and larger in population and in size than Israel. And because of that, Israel wanted to go through and he said, you're not going. We won't let you. So it's telling you now then we have a clue who's the greatest one. Now we got a clue. Edom or Esau is the great one. He's the greatest one. That's why there was trickery involved with Isaac about putting a costume on his son, Jacob. Why couldn't they figure that out if it was just the oldest and the youngest? It's not the oldest and the youngest. If that was a deal, they wouldn't have to go through all this thing. They, they would automatically know. But because the Hebrew Bible says they didn't say the oldest and the youngest, it said the eldest and the youngest. It means one is greatest in size and one is lesser in size. So now I don't know. So now then they're on their way through Edom and Edom said no. And they had to turn around and go around. Now then, but during David's time, during David's reign, all of Eden, we know in 2 Samuel 8 14, all of Eden became servants and slaves to Israel. So we fast forward about a thousand years. And the Edomites took over the Palestinian land. And so they appointed their own king. His name was Herod. And matter of fact, that he was so confident in himself because he was a, an Edomite. And the Edomite was controlling Israel. And so the Edomites said, we'll let you have your little religion, but we're going to control everything you do. As a matter of fact, we're going to appoint a king and he's an Edomite and, and, he, will, and, and he will be called Herod. And he named himself Herod the Great. There's none like me. I put Muhammad Ali to shame. I'm the greatest of all time. It's the acronym GOAT, greatest of all time. So he has set himself up. He had the backing of Rome. He had the backing of the territory of Edom. And he was known to be ruthless and very torturing to the people of God, which were the Jews. And so he named himself Herod the Great. There was none like me. None can stand against me. No one can stand against me. And that's what he referred to him. Herod referred to the word of tetrarch. So when you hear the word great, Herod the Great, it's not like he's great. It means that none can stand against him. And as time kind of rocks on, you know what's happened. The Magi shows up and said, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And he said, you're looking at him. He said, no, you're an imposter and, a, and, a, and, and you ain't the king of the Jews. You're just a chump. Because the scripture says, what's this? That no Edomite will ever have rule over an Israelite. The wise men said that, hurt his feelings. 
And Herod was, 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 was shocked by their statement. And he says, say that again. And the wise man said, the scripture says that no Edomite will ever have rule over an Israelite. You're not the king of the Jews. You're a pretender. We're looking for one that is born the king of the Jews. Which was Jesus. So Herod went to, after they, after they left, Herod went to some of his buddies and the scholars said, do you have any idea what he's talking about? And he said, yeah, we just didn't want to tell you. And <laughs> I don't blame him. Because when you say the word Herod the Great, it means no one could ever stand against him. He'll give you a haircut right below the chin. So when they told him that we're looking for the king of the Jews, they're basically saying this, that you have no right, no authority over the people of God. And you are not the great one. So the question this morning, we're going to close this thing because I'm trying to confuse you. But does the prophecy of this prophetic utterance in Genesis 25, does it still hold true today? And the answer is yes. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever felt outnumbered? Overwhelmed with the cares of this life? Unwanted by the crowds? Out of touch with society and its system? Unappreciated, unneeded? And there's an old term that's used that the deck is stacked against you. And leave that up for a moment. What this means is this, that today, that the Christian population is under great attack. I'm under great attack. You're under an assault. And as the Apostle Paul tells us, it's not really just flesh and blood. Turn to somebody and say, I thought you were my problem, but I'm not saying you're not, but it goes beyond that. If God wants to bless you, he'll send a person. But if, if the enemy wants to hinder you, he'll always send a person. So it's not like we just wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and rulers of darknesses and spiritual weaknesses and, and high places. See, we as the people of God, I'm, I'm going to just say me. Me, I'm under great attack. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm a threat to his kingdom. I am. I'm not better than you. I may be on some things in you, but I'm not exempt from headaches and heartaches and, and getting my spiritual brains beat out. Only on days that end with a Y, whether it be my family, my children, my grandchildren, my next door neighbors that want to move in a cat pound next to me. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I wish it was just when I go to sleep at night, I wish that all that stuff can go away. But I found out in the night it even gets worse. Zechariah calls it the evening wolves. It's the night wolves. And in the last few years, in the last year, you have never experienced the threat against the holiness of God as we have in this nation in the last three years. 
in the last year, guys like me, my head is on a chopping block when you want to stand for holiness. When you want to stand for Christ and Christ alone. When you want to stand for the atonement of the blood, it is through the blood of Christ that we, are, and, and by that alone, our sins are forgiven. There's no other way. There's no other way that man can be, there's no other name under the heavens that a man can be saved outside of Jesus Christ. That's it. And, and, and so what happens is, I don't know about you, but I'm speaking for me, but you've never experienced the pressure and the evilness of, of, of trying to get rid of people like me and you. They want to get along because they want me to go along. But I'm not going along, so I'm not getting along. I'm not the easiest guy to get along with. Be careful. So you're, you're looking back and it started in COVID. And I told you in February when COVID happened, I stood running. I told you something shifted. Something has shifted in the heavens. Some of you was here when I said that prophetically. I said something shifted. I don't know for sure what it is, but something happened. And then this COVID outbreak happened about a week later. Really? And ever since then, there's been this tremendous amount of being, of evilness that seems to be lurking against us. You can't say this and you can't say that and you can't bring a Bible to work and you can't wear a cross and you can't do that. And, and before long, you can't have a bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus. And you can't do any of that. You know, because what happens is we're living in a society that is now, that is empowered and enforced by demonic activity. And it's crept in the church. And the church has allowed certain things and perverted certain things. And I told you, but let every man be a liar and let God's word be true. But ever since then, you, you find yourself so being permeated by evilness. And, and when you look at the news and you look at the paper, you, this is what you're saying. We're outnumbered. Not everybody at work is happy you got born again. When Gail and I got married in 1980, I will tell you, we're not going to go back into anything, but I'll tell you, I was raised in church for a while, but I will tell you, I was not living a Christian life at all. At all. Not even close. I was at the South Pole and God was at the North Pole. And I worked in the oil field with my brother and some other guys. And I'll tell you, I led the charge of what it was wrong, vulgar, nasty, what it didn't matter. I led that charge brigade. And then in 1900 and 81, Gail and I, the same morning, we gave our life to Christ. Truly. I mean, truly. And I went back to work Monday morning. And I called her and I said, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> now, keep in mind, I really got born again, but I still love the fist fight. I really did. It ain't that funny. I had some teeth knocked out. We're not going to talk about that either. But we got to work and the first time... My boss and my brother and some other guys, they wanted to say them same old dirty jokes. I, 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 it's something really hit me like, that's not funny anymore. And every time they used the word God's name in vain, something rose up in me like, I just think I'm going to come over and just knock you, you know. But we both said the same thing. What's happened? 
Society didn't change. God changed us. But you have to agree, if you're saved, if you're saved, you have to agree in the last couple years, the sense of evilness has been lurking and coming down in a greater force than you've ever experienced before, whether it be on the pornography on the website, whether it be adultery, whether it be anything else, there's an evilness and there has been an approval of the evilness by society and approval of the evilness by the religious people. And everything in us as believers is screaming and said, it's not right. It doesn't represent God. I, I'm not the icon of anything, but I'm telling you that God is still a holy God. And I meant to tell you the other day, remember in the Bible it says that God is holy, holy, holy. There's a reason for that. It never says God is love, love, love. God is blah, blah, blah. He only says holy three times. Remind me to tell you what that means later on in life. But we've never experienced the, the suppression and the greatness as the people of God as we are right now. But here's the good news. Even though that on the outside, Papa, we seem to be outnumbered. You may be the only one at your work that loves Jesus and you feel outnumbered. You feel like you're the only woman that still loves her husband and, and has a, a life of sobriety and you want to raise your children right. And everybody else's mother said, oh, just let them live the way you want to. You know, little Johnny, they can live like that. But as far as this household, we're going to follow and honor God. And that's going to be out of the norm and you're going to be a square. But here's the great news. Whenever, and it's happening right now, that we feel outnumbered, we feel overwhelmed, we feel unwanted, and I do, and we feel like that there's so much suppression going on with evilness, and we do, and we feel like we touch, we're out of touch with the system today, and I am. I don't understand anything. Three words. It's not okay. It's not okay. I don't care what bills you pass. I don't care what kind of crooked senators and legislators you get there to prove anything. It's not right. God's word said that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And God said, this is good. The Hebrew said, this is the way I want it. And don't mess with it. That's what it means. So this is, this is why we're in the condition we're in today. But if you're feeling outnumbered, if you're feeling overwhelmed, and you feel like there's a, a greater aggression like the Edomites that's coming down and forcing you and causing you to do things that you don't necessarily have to do, then here's the good news. And it's found in a very simple scripture. John gives it to us towards the end of his life. He says this, greater. You are of God. Little Nepiosis. And you have overcome these people because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let me get this right. If we have four million Jews trying to meet four million Edomites, it'd probably be a pretty good battle royale. But now then we have a whole world system that's corrupt, that are infidels, that are, are blaspheming God. But the whole thing is coming against God. But you're telling me now it's the whole world against one and his name is King Jesus. And King Jesus is greater than all of them in heaven and in earth and under the earth put together.
Jesus is greater than them all. And this is the prophecy that will come true. Yes. One day, coming out of your womb, there's two nations. One nation, and this it's, it's, it's ethnos in the Greek, ethnic background. It's one nation that's evil and they hate me and they rise up against me and they're coming together and it seems like that the satanic movement is so great like never before. And they probably are, but I will tell you, Jesus by himself will destroy everything and everyone that comes against him. So the angel told Rebecca in the language she understood. What I'm going to tell you is very confusing. But there's two nations that are going to come at one one that will honor God. His name will call Israel and they'll honor me. And there's a nation that will be called Edomites or from Esau and they will oppose me. Not just in their lifetime, but in generations of 2,500 and 3,000 years in the future till today of 2023. But it still holds true that the generation of Israel, those that have been born again by God, because Jesus was born in the lineage of Jacob, that the greatest one that he will overcome the forces of evil that seems to have us outnumbered, Jesus is greater than them all. I know you're tired. I know you're hurt. I know you've experienced divorce, death, disease. You're frustrated. I know that. I know everywhere you look, someone's trying to run you off the road. Everywhere you go, people are talking about you. Right now, there's so much hate and violence towards your parents hate and violence or someone that did you wrong. I understand that. And everywhere you go, Dr. Phil and Sister Oprah will tell you, you have a right to be mad. No, you don't. Don't let that anger grow in you anymore another day. Don't do it. The greatest one of all, Jesus Christ, that he will destroy. When he says, come back again, the Bible says on Zechariah chapter 9 and Zechariah chapter 12, that when he shall come again the second time, his feet shall touch the Mount of Olives and they will mourn for him as they mourn for their own son. They'll cry over him as they have killed their own son and Jesus Christ on that day that he will reveal himself at his second coming and he'll bring all nations together. But until then, that we have the confidence of knowing that greater is he that's in us than anyone that's trying to come against you in the world. That's Christ. Father, I just appreciate you're just so smart. You're just so wise. And I'm just so thankful this morning that that we've had the opportunity to look at these scriptures correctly in context. That somehow we equate numbers and size and population for strength. And we debunked that this morning. 
I really don't know what she was feeling. I really don't understand the pressures that was going on in their life, but I, I do know what's going on in 2023. And I'm just so thankful this morning. This place is, is called a sanctuary. You call the place where the people of God can come a sanctuary for a reason because it's a sanctuary for wildlife that can come and be protected. We can come in here and feel safe. We can come in here and we can worship you and love you and we can join hands with commitment to one another. But every one of us, we feel outnumbered. We have children that we can't get along with. They hate us. We have in-laws that wish we were dead. We have co-workers that wish they had our job. And then we have people that are running the street that are God-haters that wish that we were in the grave somewhere because they really hate us because we love God. We feel that every day. And it would be very tempting to fold like a bad lawn chair if it wasn't for this verse. But even though we are outnumbered, and even though we're troubled on every side, and even though that we are distressed and perplexed, but there's one thing that we have in common this morning. The one who lives in us is greater than anyone that comes against us. Amen. The nation of Israel, the seed of Jacob, the righteous one, my redeemer, in Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the Holy Ghost and fire. He's the sanctifier. He's the justifier. He's the redeemer from the curse of law. He's the great pastor. He's the friend that stick it closer than any brother. He's a faithful friend. And the revelation says he's king of kings and Lord of lords. That one, he lives in us. So thank you for the promise and the promise is holding true and it's holding true right now and he'll hold true in the days and the years to come that Jesus is greater than them all. And all the people of God say amen. If you've never known Christ as your personal savior, you're in a great place. You're not here by accident, of course. Maybe you got up this morning and said, hey, I think I'll just go to church. Well, I'll tell you, there's nothing on the inside of your natural man said that. It was God by the Holy Spirit that through his provenient grace that he, with cords of love, withdraw you here. Just to remind you that you're not alone. Just remind you that he has plans for your life. And so you're outnumbered. You're out of touch. You feel unwanted and you feel unneeded. But here's the good news, that God wants you, God loves you, and God needs you. Stand with me if you would, please. If you would, please take somebody by the hand. I wasn't going to preach that long, but I think somebody put something in that water and they just kind of got me going. So I'm not sure where he got that. I hope he didn't get from doctor's orders. I mean, that's... You have no idea the struggles that these people are facing that you have handled. Hold up. You have no idea. 
You don't know what they dreamed last night. You don't know what something whispered into their ear while they laid on the pillow last night. You have no idea. I'll give you a clue. You're not going to make it. You're going to die prematurely. Your children hate you. You're going to go broke. God doesn't care about you. Not only did your spouse leave you, but God has left you. You've committed too many sins. You're unlovely. You're unattractive. You make a good doormat for someone to wipe their feet on. Why don't you just quit this nonsense about God and face the fact that you are alone. You are unworthy and you'll never amount to anything. That's what some people has heard this week. And we join hands for two reasons and two reasons only for, for affection and protection. So Father, this morning, would you do what only you can do for those that never known you and made a commitment to you, would you just move into their hearts and by your Holy Spirit rearrange the furniture in their heart and their mind that they want to follow you and serve you. And for us as believers that trust you, oh, we're surrounded and we're outnumbered, but this is the good news that we have, even though that our enemy may be greater in number, but you're the greatest of them all. And our hope and our strength is in you. Defeat ever my enemy, calm my nerves, steady my hands, secure my feet that I may carry the torch of the light of the gospel of Christ in the days and the years to come. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, God is good, is he not? Oh, he is. Communion service, please come. Turn around about three or four people and just give them a hug and say, listen, I didn't know if I liked you, but I like you now. You're, you smell good. I think you're losing weight. I, I'm just glad you're here. Where have you been? We've been looking for you. So you that are new this morning, I want to explain something to you. Don't let them kids come in yet. They, they seem to... I need you to pay. We celebrate Holy Communion every week. We do this. Because he said, I want you to remember me. The word remembrance is a Greek word. It means to erect a statue in front of you. It's like looking at something eye to eye. This was the last thing that he told us to do. Is take the bread and the cup. The very last thing. So I was raised in Assembly of God Church and we were told and we were taught that the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, we have no structure on this in the Gospels. Paul just receives a revelation and this is what he said. And dealing with communion, the sacraments. If any man, let him examine himself. And if any man taketh this cup or bread unworthily, he's heaping damnation upon himself. So we were taught in the assemblies of God, and you were too, that you had to examine yourself right quick. And if, if you've done anything dumb or stupid, you'd be best not take communion. Well, that would leave us all out. But the word unworthily means in axios, it means your worth. 
Never let a man or woman take communion in their own worth. There's only one that's worthy. For 10 seconds, we could just go over our Rolodex and our report card that we failed miserably and this and that and this and that. And we made a double F in that last week. And if we went by communion in our own worth, we would never come to him. But he said, let a man examine himself. And we have. And God, according to my own works, there's no way, shape or form that I'm worthy to come to you. But I come to you in your son Jesus' worth. And if I could just get to him, that he'll forgive me. He'd heal my body. He'll ease my mind. He'll wash my feet. And he'll prepare me for the days set before me. And so in the worth of Jesus Christ, we celebrate Holy Communion. That night, he sat with his disciples and he said, 2,500 years ago, you celebrated the first Passover. They took the bread. It was the unleavened bread and he broke it. He took a whole piece of bread and he began to break it. Your broken dreams, your broken lives, your broken marriages, your broken hearts, your broken relationships, your broken mind. Jesus became broken that you could be whole. He left us in peace, not in pieces. And then he took the cup. And he said in the first Passover, they took the blood of the lamb. And they put it in the shape of a cross over the doorpost that when the death angel of the Abaddon would come to the house that he would pass over. Jesus said, now I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my Father now will take my own blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And as often as you eat of this bread and as often as you drink of this cup, remember me. I may forget your last name. I may forget where you live. I certainly may forget that I owe you money. But there's one thing that we must remember. We've got to remember that it's all about Jesus. Bless this cup, Father. Bless this bread. And all that partakes of it, let them find whatever they've been looking for in Christ's name. Amen.